Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. Hi, I'm Brooke Skinner-Ricketts, and I'll be your host for today's Beyond Barriers podcast episode. I'm so excited to introduce you to Meredith Lorenz Heimberger. She's a partner and head of impact at Global Endowment Management, GEM. As head of impact, Meredith oversees the integration of impact measurement and management, invests into investment sourcing, due diligence, and selection. She and her team designed holistic investment approaches to aid clients in incorporating mission and values into their portfolios and work with the client strategy team on education around impact investing, portfolio design, and implementation and reporting. Prior to joining GEM in 2012, Meredith spent seven years with Teach for America. She served first as a classroom teacher and then as a member of the staff, leading the expansion of the organization's presence in new and developing regions across the U.S. Meredith is a board member and chair of the Investment Committee for the Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation, which promotes sustainable solutions to human and environmental problems. She's also a member of the Davidson College Board of Visitors and a trustee of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library Foundation. She's an active member of several organizations that focus on leveraging assets for positive impact, including the Impact, Giving Pledge Next Gen, and the Philanthropy Workshop. Meredith received her BA in English with a concentration in gender studies from Davidson College. Please join me in welcoming Meredith Lorenz Heimberger. Okay, cool. So if we could just start and you introduce yourself um, and tell me a little bit, a little bit about your story, kind of how you got, I knew you started Teach for America, ended up in, um, in impact investing. So we'd just love a little bit of texture about that so that, that our guests can get to know, so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit. Sure. So I um, graduated from college and started my career with Teach for America. Um, I had always sort of thought that I would work in the nonprofit space um, and and I was really passionate about education. So Teach for America was obviously a great fit. Um, so I moved to Charlotte and began working for that organization and then ultimately joined staff and was with Teach for America total for seven years. And just as I was sort of getting good at what I was doing and felt like I really understood um, what I was being asked to do, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm kind of competent at this. I, I finally understand it. I was approached by the partners of the firm where I currently work, Global Endowment Management, and they asked me if I would come join their client service team and work with them. Um, Global Endowment Management is an outsourced investment office for endowments, foundations, and other mission-driven investors. And at that point, this was back in 2012, our firm was beginning to grapple with how are we going to work with clients that want to integrate their mission and values into their investment portfolios, which now is is a big part of the conversation in the investment industry. But 10 years ago was really sort of an emerging subject and people hadn't grappled with how to do it and how to really implement those portfolios. So they asked me to come join the firm and to leave that work. And I had no experience as an investor. I was an English major and uh, at a liberal arts school in undergrad and then was an English teacher. Um, Nothing about my background would have told you that I was going to go work for an investment firm. Um, But I sort of took a leap and went to work for them doing that. 
And I've now been there for 10 years. I'm a partner at our firm and I lead our impact investment platform and team. Um, And we work across our sort of $11 billion and our 45 clients to support them in integrating mission and values into their investment portfolios. Amazing. Amazing. I want to go back to um, the taking a leap because that, that, that's a bit, you, you said it very quickly, but I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that's a very courageous thing to do. Um, and especially from, you know, teaching an English major to investment, like those worlds could not be more different. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you made that decision and what it was like. Um, and then, uh, you know, sort of like how that, how that evolved for you. Sure. So I um I read this blog, Wait But Why. It's by um Tim Urban and Andrew Finn. I don't know if you've read it. It's it's a hilarious blog, but they always break down sort of these complicated subjects. And I remember reading in one of them that you can become an expert in anything in seven years. And it really tracks with my experience, right? It was like seven years in at Teach for America. I was like, I got this. I'm smart. People trust me and my ideas are good. Um, and and so on the one hand, there it's it's so compelling to then get comfortable doing that and stay forever. On the other hand, I think there's something about me that's always been interested in kind of a new challenge or a new way of looking at the world or new ideas. Um, and so I, I think sort of right as I was getting really comfortable and feeling like I really was on top of it. I was also starting to itch for what's the next challenge? What's the next thing I can do um, that that will sort of give me a new perspective and teach me something new? Um, I also think, you know, my own background, I had sort of told myself this story in in my own family. My grandfather had been born very poor and had ultimately been very successful. And the story we told ourselves and our family was that that was because education was the great equalizer. And it absolutely is a great equalizer. And I still am a big fan of of working in education and working towards more equitable educational outcomes. Um, and And I'm glad that I had that experience. But nonetheless... I started to sort of ask this question of, you know, it's not just education. There's also this whole world you enter into after you you finish your education that really controls a lot of outcomes. And so I had worked with students who were incredible, brilliant, hardworking, amazing kids. And then they went off into a world that I know because studies tell me they were going to be overlooked for small business loans, for opportunities to become entrepreneurs, for um, career advancement opportunities. And I just started to think, what if I could go work in that side of the equation? I mean, what if it's not just education that's the equalizer, but what if it's also the the world and the industries and the the capital markets, frankly, that that can shift towards um, supporting more students towards more equitable outcomes? And so um, it was sort of this combination of, of being ready to take on a challenge and starting to ask some other questions about the world around me and what my contributions might be. And then this opportunity to go work at this really amazing firm with a group of people who were very clearly ahead of the curve and asking these questions as well. They were one of the first firms that do what we do that started to ask, how do you integrate mission and values into portfolios? And who are we going to bring onto the team to help us do that? And so it was just such an amazing opportunity for me um, at, at a really great time. That's so cool. That's so cool. One of the things we focus on with, uh, we work with women to help them, you know, kind of accelerate their career and navigational skills is so often the gap, right? And you're talking about all these brilliant students and we see this with women and, and minorities and first generation anybody, right? And in, in any context, like you just spend kind of twice the time going half as far, right? Yeah. Um, because you just kind of don't know what you don't know. So I think it's, and and then I think you're so right that it's one thing to meet people where they are and try to help them navigate in the moment, but going upstream and trying to help 
fix the systems um, is is so impactful and so important. Did you, when you made the leap, did you have a mentor or a sponsor or a guide? Like, tell me about that. How did, how did you, how did you get so deep in that now you're a partner and you're a leader in this space? I did. It's interesting. Um, th- there's a man at my firm who is our managing partner today, um, but he was a partner at the time. And I had met him while I was at Teach for America, frankly, because he was really passionate about education and education policy. And, and I obviously was really passionate about that as well. And so we had started sort of this conversation about policy and politics and education and equity and what we were seeing in the state of North Carolina. I was a new North Carolinian at the time. I'd grown up in Texas, but had moved here um, after college. And so I was sort of adjusting to living in this new state and, and learning new things about it. And he had been here for many years and had such great perspective. And so it started as a friendship based on a set of interests that had nothing to do with his firm. And I think through those conversations, he then had this light bulb moment that maybe I could be a part of that team to lead them in a new direction. What I also think was amazing about him, and, and he has maintained this as have my other partners, was they wanted me to come on and bring a contrarian view. And that's really hard to do if you're not asked specifically to do it. And so I wish I could tell you some message of, you know, here's how you stay true to yourself and and act like a contrarian, even when it's impossible. But the reality is I was invited onto the team to be that contrarian, to say, I understand all of you were trained to just maximize investment return. And now I'm going to come and and sort of annoy you until you start thinking about mission and values and and integration into your process. And so, you know, he not only sort of recognized in me, I think, at a young age that I was the kind of person who wouldn't mind being a contrarian, that I had some of the resilience you might need to sort of get a little bit beat up and keep going. But then he invited me onto the team and he really supported me. And there were many moments that were... um, much harder than they were easy or fun, right? Where I was sort of the the youngest, the least uh, sort of trained traditionally to be doing what I was doing. And I was always the one bringing the new perspective that kind of bothered everybody and, and annoyed everyone. And and having his support and engagement for that um, was, was really critical. That's, I mean, you, you just talked about so much, like the resilience, the having the support and what an incredible opportunity to be invited in to kind of um, shake the trees a little bit. That that's that's incredible. Um, well, how exciting for you, and um, and what a cool opportunity. I think the other thing that you said that is really interesting is that you were having a conversation with someone who was in a very adjacent world or even a totally different world, but you shared a passion, right? And that's when we talk to, when we coach um, people in terms of like reaching out within your networks, like I think, you know, your experience tells us very clearly like that you could, like opportunities are everywhere, right? (laughs) And you just like, but you never know who's going to have a connection or an idea and it's so worth putting yourself out there. But that's also a very vulnerable thing to do, right? Um, It sounds like you met him in a context where you were very comfortable, but um, did you have moments of self-doubt or moments, you know, when you were like jumping in, was it, I mean, it sounds like you had all the support and the invitation and all that, which is an incredible sort of tool set to walk in with. Um, But did you ever say, want to go back to teaching or say like, I'm (laughs) this or, you know, just want to peace out? Yes. Many, many, many times. I mean, I think part of it is, and, and part of why I think he saw this resilience was, you know, going joining Teach for America, and I'm sure you've known people who have done it and, and heard stories about it, you're also sort of jumping into the deep end without much preparation and without the background or the knowledge or the tools. And the only thing you have is is resilience and humility and hard work. I mean, that's all you can do, right? It's just say, I'm not good at this today. I do need to wake up tomorrow and go back to it. And I'm just going to work my butt off until I'm good at it. 
and I don't really know how to do anything else. Like I don't, <laughs> I guess I wasn't born with like the skill set to, to fail uh, and give up. I was born with the skill set to sort of fail and keep going. Um, and so I, I do think it's a lot of just not only the, um, and not only just sort of building your own resilience and building your own capacity to keep going, even when you seem, I mean, I remember feeling downright terrible at what I was doing on a regular basis, both at my time at Teach for America and at my time since we, I've been at Global Endowment, um, of just being like, I'm really bad at this. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm saying, you know, I open my mouth in a meeting and everyone looks at me like I'm crazy. And what am I saying wrong? And what am I doing wrong? But what an opportunity to just get up and try again tomorrow. Um, and what else, you know, what do you have to lose? What What's the worst that could happen? Um, particularly when you're in a group where you, you you play that role where it's an important role and it's a meaningful one and, and you need to be there doing it. I think also um, humility is a huge part of it and and the flexibility to be able to take feedback. And, and I was lucky because Teach for America actually teaches this almost as a skill, right? Because you really need that as a teacher. You need to be able to teach a lesson, have your students fail the quiz, recognize that you taught it wrong and wake up the next day and teach it again and teach it better that time and measure it again. And you need to be able to do that because you're responsible for children and that's so important. And so I think I was able to carry that into this context of, you know, when I got something wrong, asking people around me, what what did I do wrong? What can I do better? And then having the humility to listen and try again and not being defensive um, and not falling back on, well, I did my best and that's all I can do. But I did my best. I'm sorry that I, I did it wrong. Now let me try again tomorrow and, and see where I can go. And I think that also built a lot of really natural relationships. I mean, one of the interesting things about my firm that I love is huge diversity of thought. Um, and you see that played out across how people vote, how people live at home, how people decide to spend their time at work. And yet we all love and respect each other and can give each other really tough feedback and, and have the, the humility and flexibility to listen and, and try again. So I think that's really important in building those relationships authentically, however you can, and then just stealing yourself and preparing for some of that bad feedback that you're going to get and, and preparing yourself to, to go home, go to bed, wake up the next morning and do it again. Yeah, that it's so important. It's so hard. You make it sound very easy. <laughs> but it's so it's I mean, it's it's just incredible that you've had all of these opportunities and, and all of that support. And it sounds like a really healthy culture too, right? Which is is so key. Um, both to contribute to as well as as well as to join. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. When you started out on your journey, did you imagine that you would be a leader? Um, it sounds like you d- you had no no idea that you would be in investment management. <laughs> but did you <laughs> like feel the sense that you were? Did you know you were a leader early on? It's a good question, and I, you know, this. Well, I think two things. One, um, the first is no, not at all. I didn't. I not only didn't think I would be in investment management. I always figured that I would um, stay home to raise my kids. My my mom had done that, and that had been such an important part of her um, parenting and her identity, and such an important thing to me. And she and I are very close, and I really respected um, 
how much she did for us as a mom and also how much she gave up because she is a natural leader. She could have been anything she wanted to be and she wanted to be a mom. And so I always thought that that's what I would do as well. Um, and, and she ultimately went back to work when we were older and is a leader and has been exceptional. And so I think back to how she must have at a few points when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight, thought, what am I doing here? I could be doing anything and here I am. Um, and, and she has, you know, later been able to go back and be very successful professionally. And so, um, and so I sort of thought like, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll stay home with my kids when they're young. I won't spend my time working towards at least professional leadership at this stage in life. That was not what I expected at all. Um, and I think it was just a matter of sort of, again, waking up the next day and just doing it over again, right? It's like, I didn't, I didn't say at 18, what I want to do is be a partner at an investment firm when I'm 40. I sort of said at 25 and a half, I guess tomorrow I'll wake up and go back to work and I'll, I'll just keep doing this until it doesn't work. I also... Um, I read a lot of, of, of anything I could get my hands on when my kids were really young, trying to think about the trade-offs and the decision around working or staying home with them, um, which is such a privilege, right, to even be able to consider those two options. Um, and I, I really struggled with it because it is such a privilege. And I thought, am I crazy to give up the privilege of being able to be home with them during these years to, to go work? Um, and I had read somewhere, I'm a... Um, the, the, the personality type that I tested as is like the worst for staying home. <laughs> that sort of the, the goal orientation and needing to see results on a regular basis um, combined with extroversion just makes for like really miserable years in those early years. Um, and so I also sort of, I took that to heart, right? And I thought, is it is it more important to my kids to have me at home feeling like a failure or to me have me out working, feeling successful, and then getting to come home and spend really special time with them when I can do it. And that's still, I mean, I, I struggle with that every day. I think every working parent struggles every day with how do I prioritize being here versus being there. So, um, you know, it's a struggle and, and it's a struggle that we all face regardless of, of, of where we sit. Um, so no, that's long way of saying. I had no idea that this yeah. is where I would end up. I think the other thing though that I was going to say that is, is, has been interesting to me is, so next week's the Super Bowl. And inevitably, while we're watching the Super Bowl, at some point, there will be a video of one of the quarterbacks, and he'll be like four years old in his backyard, and he'll throw some amazing pass, and everyone will celebrate. And what we're supposed to take from that is this message of like, whatever you were really good at at four is 100% what you're going to be exceptional at, at 30 and 40 and 50. And there's this sort of built-in understanding that who we are going to be is fully formed when we're very young. And I think my experiences just continue to tell me, and again, I had the wait, but why blog to, to tell me as well that like you can actually do and be anything you want and you can wake up tomorrow and decide to be that thing. And if you have the the will to go do it, you can do it. And so I also think in terms of, you know, did I envision being a leader on the one hand? No. And on the other hand, I kept having these sort of reinforcing experiences that if you just keep chipping away at it, you can be anything you want. And so it became more and more clear over time that, well, maybe I am a leader. Maybe I can do this. Maybe this isn't so crazy. I'll just keep going and see what happens. And so um, on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't seem like such a leap to where I am today from where I started. But if, if you'd asked me at, at 16, if this was what I was going to be doing, I would have said absolutely not.
Um, again, so many, so many important things there. I mean, I think, um, I think we, what you said about just waking up and deciding and pivoting. I mean, it's it, it that is such important because it's so many. It's such an important piece of wisdom because so many of us struggle with, well, I did this, so I can't do that, right? Um, and and or I'm not trained, or I can't, you know, I can't possibly, you know, take that leap. And and you've you've got you've had su- had such an example of that in your life and career. I think also just you know the working parent thing. I mean, I can remember having infants and being so frustrated that like I wasn't making anything happen you know like we were alive at the end of the day and that was the accomplishment and it was <laughs> so frustrating you know someone who was like a C-level executive just taking a company public I'm like what is this this is you know yeah. But I think um, kind of grounding in um, what's important and what's there in front of you, but also also the reality, I mean, for me, work makes me a better mom, you know, and it, and it sounds like the same is true for you. And, um, and, and we all struggle with, you know, all of those, all of the tensions that that, uh, that, that brings. So, um, so thank you for saying that out loud, because I think it's, it's really important for people to hear um, and for us just to, to be vocal and visible about Um Okay, cool. Uh, it sounds like you've overcome a lot of fears and limiting beliefs. And it sounds like that Wait But Why blog has been super uh, critical in, in helping you do that. Um, do you have any techniques or hacks or tricks uh, that you could share um, that help you in those moments where you're like, I don't know if I can do this or, um, you know, I, I want to, but I don't know, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pondering a risk, right? Like, how do, how do you evaluate those? And, and how do you how do you get to the, the, the leap? Yeah. yeah, I probably ask for too much perspective from other people, if I'm being honest. Um, but I, I think both because I process things by just saying them out loud and sort of experimenting with what I think. So it helps me to share that with people. Um, and because I really do take their advice to heart. And so, you know, anytime I've been making a big decision or I've been really concerned about something, um, I've got sort of a group of people around me who I have felt like I can go to and talk to. I'm very close with my parents and I get great, but different perspectives from them, depending on which one I ask. I'm very close with my sister um, who's had an incredible career working in philanthropy and nonprofit work. So I I always get her perspective. Um, My husband and I are very different, which I think is interesting. We we have very different sort of views and beliefs in a lot of ways. Um, And so I ask for his perspective a lot more professionally. You know, what would you do? What would you do if I was working at your company or if I worked for you? How would you address this? Um, And then I have really authentic relationships with the people I work with at my firm. And so I've always been able to sort of, I think, humble myself to them in an authentic way and say, this feels really confusing to me or really scary to me, or um, you've asked me to do this and I just don't think I can. I don't see the way that I'm going to get there with the current resources I have available to me and the, the skill set that I'm working with. What would you do? Or what did you mean? Did you actually want me to do it this way? Um, and so I think that series of sort of getting to say the words out loud myself, just to hear your thinking evolves, right? And I think for some people, you can do it with writing. Some people are really incredible and can just do this in their head. I'm not one of those. For me, it's saying it out loud, but but you can hear your own thinking evolve as you walk through it. Um, And you can start to sort of speak into what will be your ultimate decision, I think, by doing that. Um, And it helps to get different perspectives from different people. And I think also in, in a lot of cases, the answer is really obvious. You just need to say it out loud. You know, it's it's like, I, I actually didn't need to ask 15 people what they thought. I just needed to say over and over and over, here's what I want to do. What do you think? And then if they said, don't do it, I would have to say like, no, no, I really want to do it. And and so it also helps, you know, you know, some things are so obvious. You just, I, I think, you know, for example, taking this job, right? So 
seven years into a career saying, I'm going to completely pivot. I'm going to go make less money doing something I have no idea what I'm doing in with a bunch of people who don't know me, who don't think I'm that good at it. Um, I had to say out loud a few times, like, but here's why I really want to do it. Here's why it's super cool and such an opportunity. Um, and so I, I honestly probably didn't care what anyone else said, but I had to say it out loud enough times to know that, that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's so powerful because I feel like um, a lot of the, the a lot of the folks we coach, one, struggle just to even say it, two, struggle to say it to somebody else, right? And be vulnerable about it. And then three, like once they, once we do, it's like, oh, this is the obvious thing, right? But it's so intimidating. And there's a great, um, this, the fear setting exercise instead of goal setting, right? You, you sort of document your fears and then what, what if, what if, what if. Um, and one of my favorite coaches or mentors, I, I similarly have like a board of direct, personal board of directors, right? And one of the, the women who's in my board, like every time I have a conversation with her, I realize that I did all the talking, right? And she just <laughs> asked these super compelling questions and I basically convinced myself, you know? Um, yeah. But it's, it, part of it is saying it out loud and part of it is connecting. And then part of it, I think also is convincing yourself and getting out of your head, which is yeah. I also hear you saying, which is um, so important because it's so easy for us to just sit and sort of obsess about the little things and sometimes... Yeah. And I think having a friend, you know, you you mentioned this woman, which is so powerful, having a friend or a a mentor or someone in your life who genuinely can be objective, right? Sometimes I realize like, I'm asking this question of my husband, but he's not objective, because the outcome might affect our home life might affect my income might affect my happiness. And he's obviously very subjective around how he wants to be affected by those things. Um, Or similarly, if I ask my colleagues at work, they're going to be affected by the outcome of that decision. And so I've actually just had a really amazing and powerful group of women friends where I've been able to do the same. And I know at the end of the day, they just want me to make the decision that's right for me. They don't have a dog in the fight. And so I think finding whoever that person is, whatever that sounding board is, can be so helpful. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, I I love. I mean, you you started talking about your family and and how um, they support you, and also having people who you know who aren't emotionally or you know literally attached to the decision. <laughs> you know that that's a really important piece of the puzzle. Um, do you have any daily success habits or daily things that you do to just sort of um, to make your day shine? Um, I don't wake up early and I don't make my bed. And I know that means that like I'm automatically a failure by 8 a.m. <laughs> but I I think it's so funny when I read those things. I'm like, but what if you don't do that? Um, I think the things that I do that have made me successful from a daily habit perspective, or I try really hard to, fo- whatever I'm doing, I try to focus on that thing in that moment, right? I try not to have... 80 million things weighing in on me. And so when I'm up in the morning with my kids, getting them dressed and ready for school, I'm focusing in that moment on them, on just getting them ready. And I try to clear, and this is obviously a a privilege that comes with time. I couldn't do this at 33 and 34, but now I can say, you know, I can't start my day until nine because I need from eight to nine to get myself ready because I spent from seven to eight getting them ready. And that gives me the flexibility to really, when I'm with them, focus on them instead of this sort of I'm always doing a little bit of me and a little bit of them and a little bit of us. Um, And so I think really focusing on whatever the thing is. And then when I sit down at my desk, trying really hard to say, what's the project I'm working on right now? And how do I clear my calendar enough to just sit and do this project in this moment? Um, And also asking my people to hold me accountable. If I tell you that I'm going to review something and have it back to you on Wednesday, put it on my calendar, I'll review it on Tuesday. And if I don't send it to you on Wednesday, send me an email reminder at 8 a.m. Wednesday morning and say, where is it? You told me I was going to have it or you know, Thursday, whatever the day after is. But, um, you know, holding myself accountable to really 
dialing in and doing what I say I'm going to do and then focusing on that thing in that moment. And that's, you know, varying degrees of success. Sometimes I'm really good at it, but sometimes I'm really bad at it. But I do try at least to really focus in on what's the thing I'm doing right now and how can I be really good at this right now and then move to the next thing if I can. It's really powerful. I mean, there's so there's so much research about how much time we lose, like context switching and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I think, and sometimes the simplest little things make the biggest difference, right? Yeah. So that's that's excellent. Um, and I hear you on varying degrees of success. <laughs> um, okay, we've talked a lot about a lot of this stuff, but it sounds like you had one really core key mentor, and you got a great group of friends. But um, when you think about kind of building strategic or powerful relationships, or those relationships that sort of get you to next, um, how do you how do you approach that? I well, two things. One, I was a fundraiser for a while, and I had a um, one of my my old boss, who was also a mentor, said to me, the best way to, to get someone to give you what they want is to ask them for something first. And I think that's really an interesting way to look at it, right? So I would be walking into a meeting, I'd be about to ask somebody for money. And instead, I would ask them for something else first. Um, and and uh, oftentimes, you're like, wait, why would you ask them for two things? Why wouldn't you just focus on the money? But it's like, people actually like to feel like they are engaged in the process and like they are contributing in other ways too. Um, and so what we would typically do is, is work with someone and say, how else can you contribute? Can you also volunteer your time? Can you also give us your strategic perspective? Can you also give us feedback on the materials we're showing you? Are they good? Are they effective? Can you also recommend other people who might be willing to give us money? So that was just sort of a fundraising trick that I've actually kind of applied to everything, right? Which is in building relationships with people asking them on the front end for for things I want and need from them, but in a way that's sort of more of an invitation and less forceful, right? Like, give me your perspective on such and such. Or would you be willing to teach me about what you do? Would you be willing to sit with me for coffee for an hour and tell me about your professional experiences with this? Um, can you give me feedback on this? And on the one hand, you are sort of leaning on people a little bit too much, right? And, and there's some people who might feel drained by that. But what I have found is I've been able to build really great relationships with a lot of my colleagues simply by just asking them to help me and saying, would you be willing to tell me about this thing? Or can you give me feedback on this? Or what do you think about this? I also, as I mentioned earlier, I work with group of people who are not all very much alike me or like each other. Um, and so taking the time to learn about them and gosh, you think this thing that's so different from what I think. I am not going to judge you or criticize for you for that yet, <laughs> but would you explain it to me in a way that makes sense to me? Can you break that down for me and 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 tell me because you're so smart and I think I'm smart and yet we really disagree. Tell me, explain it to me. Um, and I think that builds authentic relationships with people and it helps you um, really understand people. Um, and then you can sort of collaborate to move forward strategically. Yeah. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of that in the world today, right? So I think it's I think it's a um, it's a differentiating thing to 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 seek out seek that out. And now that you said that from a fundraising perspective, um, people have totally used that trick on me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have given. I was sitting here thinking That's like this good. is recorded. I'm in so much trouble from everyone I've asked money from if they hear this. <laughs> But it really, I mean, I love what you said. It really does apply, right? Because you think about just, and, and we, we share that too in terms of, you know, inviting a relationship, like asking, people love to talk about themselves, one, right? Um, but two, when you're genuinely interested, when you can, you can really have a dialogue, like that's the foundation for a trusting, engaging, interesting relationship because they're sharing of themselves and you get the opportunity to do the same. And even, especially if you don't agree, right? Like that's, that's where the depth is. But I think a lot of yeah. people stop short of that because they're afraid they'll be rejected or it'll, 
blow up or, you know, 80% of people are conflict averse and, you know, so all of those yeah. different dynamics, but what a great, what a great, uh, what a great uh, lesson. Um, from from your um, fundraising career into your, <laughs> into yeah. your, I guess you know the one thing that I just see in your in in your story is that you have been working with these giant systems, right, <laughs> and and bringing in challenging ideas to really big established systems, right? Whether it's the education system or finance and private equity, which is like big and old and definitely male dominated, right, and has a lot of state ideas in it. We work with a lot of financial firms uh, in the work that we do um so i would love to just know um one why that's your thing right (laughs) and then two um any thoughts for you know any of our listeners who are in similarly situated in in a system that you know they want to see progress or they or they see opportunity you know to create to create change or um to create new momentum um and how would how would you get started yeah Gosh, why is that my thing? I don't even know, but it it has always sort of been my thing, right? Like I remember visiting colleges even, and there was one college campus I visited where I felt like everyone here is just like me and this would be so easy and it would feel like home. And then visiting the college campus, Davidson College, where I ended up going and thinking like, this is a slightly different place and it's not, not everyone here is just like me and thinking like, well, maybe I would actually like this more. Like maybe I'm better suited to sort of swim upstream a bit or be sort of the the naysayer or, you know, in that context to be a little bit more out there than everyone here. Um, and I'm not that far out there. I mean, I'm not, please, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of overstating that. But, you know, I think there is something about me. I've always sort of been interested in this, like, I'm, I'm fine being the outlier. I'm fine being a little bit different. I'm fine sort of pushing around the edges. And so I guess I've just taken that same approach to, to large systems as well. Um, I also think those large systems are the ones where so much progress needs to be made, but you can start chipping away. And there's data on your side, right? Like there's there are studies that tell you this is what's happening today. And if we just did it this way, this thing would get better. Um, and so there's a lot of evidence because people are studying these systems and saying, here's what's wrong with them. Um, and so I've always been intrigued by like, well, what if we could just use what the data tells us to make this a little bit better, right? We we know diverse teams make better decisions. So what if we just read that study and then got a more diverse team? Um, there's something really intriguing about sort of being the person that can do that and, and having a role in doing that and working with others to do that. Um so, yeah, but I would also say, I mean, I think some of this is who chooses you, right? Like, I, I, I can't pretend that I, again, I didn't wake up at 30 and say, I'm going to go change finance. I woke up at 30 and someone told me, would you like to come work at our firm? <laughs> um, and, and so that's how that happened. So I don't want to take too much credit for ending up in those systems. Um, I think the advice for other people who want to to drive that kind of change or want to enter into those kinds of systems, I mean, one is... There has to, and I'm not good at this, but I have learned it. You have to be able to separate sort of your personal resiliency from your professional life. Um, and for me, there have been days where it has just felt so defeating, right? To go to work and just be wrong and, and not get what I want to happen and not get the, the idea that I had approved and not be able to push something forward and be told no. And it is so easy to look at sort of what happens within the walls of your professional life and say, I must be stupid. I must be a failure. I must be incompetent. Um, 
And the reality is like, these are huge entrenched challenging systems. And actually everything's a system of some kind. I mean, even if it's not huge or entrenched, it's still an office work culture. It's got its own entrenched systems and policies and ideas. And so you have to be able to say, at whatever time you turn off, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's midnight, whatever time you do turn it off, say, I am now going home where I am me and I am still smart and I am still okay. I am still loved. I'm still lovable. I still love these people. Um, what happened there doesn't actually mean that I am all of those things that I associate with failure. Um, and and I've gotten so much better at that. Maybe too good at that. <laughs> Maybe now I let myself off the hook too often, but I was terrible at that in my twenties, right? I took it all personally. I would, I would cry myself to sleep if, if I had a bad day in the classroom. Um, and I, I've just had to learn no, nobody benefits from carrying over that kind of pain. Um, and so how can you, whatever it takes, whatever system you need, whatever music you need to turn on, on the drive home, whatever the thing is to be able to separate your own self-worth from getting a little bit beat up at work. Because if you're getting a little bit beat up at work, you're probably actually doing the right thing. You're probably making progress. It's slow and it's painful, but it's steady and it's there. And then you need to come home and feel safe and and separate. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Um, that's really powerful. Do you have one and a half minutes to do a lightning round question? I do. <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, okay, uh, lightning round questions. Um, tell me what book has greatly influenced you. So there's a book called Wide Sargasso Sea by Jane Reese. I don't know if you've read it. I was an English major again. Um, it sort of reimagines the, the woman in the attic from Jane Eyre. Um, and it was a really powerful book for me because it just gave me such a different thought process on different perspectives. Cool. Um, favorite or inspiring quote or saying? Um, there is a poem by a woman named Maggie Smith called Good Bones. Do you know it? I do, yeah. And it's a little bit heartbreaking, um, but it is sort of why I do what I do, right? And it's just looking around and saying, gosh, there's so much that's broken, but there's there's also a little bit that we can do and we can chip away at it and we can find hope and we can find a reason to be here. And it's it's really depressing in a lot of ways, but I love that poem. It, it kind of moves me every time and it makes me think about what I'm doing. Awesome. Um, what's one word or moniker you would use to describe yourself? Honest. Nice. For better, for better or worse. <laughs> nice. Um, what's one change that you I- implemented that made your life better? Organization. I'm just compulsive about staying organized and I don't, I don't, I would fall apart otherwise. Yeah. Um, and then what about power song? Okay. I, I really don't know. I'm going to have to like, I, I'm going to send you an email. I'm going to think about what this is. I really cannot think of a good one. I'm sorry. Um, probably because I would be embarrassed to admit to you how much like nineties rap I listen to. <laughs> we get a lot of that and, and we affirm and hold space for that. So okay. I also listen to nineties rap. So if it's Nelly or whatever, I was, I was at a doctor's office and I heard Cypress Hill and I was like, Oh my God. Um, you know, Amazing. whatever, whatever's your jam. That's yeah. That's you going. So, so it would be one of those. It'd be on that list. Okay, excellent. Well, send me the email if you think of it. But Meredith, this was such a treat to get to know you. Thank you so much for spending for the gift of your time and your perspective and your wisdom. Um, and we just we really appreciate it. So I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. This was so much fun. You were right. People enjoy talking about themselves. So thanks <laughs> for giving me the chance to do it. I really appreciated this time and, and getting to know you. Likewise, likewise. All right. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend, or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com, where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. Mm-hmm.